So how many understand what I mean when I talk about a tipping point? When you saw the title of the sermon today, you went tipping point. I understand that. Good example of a tipping point, good biblical example, would be the opening of Exodus. Because when you end the book of Genesis, you'll recall that you had the whole Joseph story, getting down to Egypt. And, uh, of course, God saved the, uh, the, the um, family of Jacob by way of Joseph being sold into slavery. He rises to prominence. His 11 brothers and his father and others come. And so we end the chapter of Genesis with, with them there, and they're being welcomed with open arms. Beginning of the book of Exodus, different story. A little bit of a tipping point had been reached. It was okay when there was 11 brothers coming up and even the old man and, uh, you know, servants and donkeys and whatnot. But uh, when they got to be about 2 million, that got to be a few too many for the Egyptians' taste. Uh, We read this in in Exodus 1. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many. Tipping point. Too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. Seems like they already had. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So this was a big deal to them. It was a big deal that this this population had become too many for them to really deal with. At Ephesus, think about where we've been. Paul got there. As far as we know, there really hadn't been any Christians in Ephesus up to that point. Paul comes, he starts to preach, but he doesn't just preach. Luke says he did incredible, extraordinary miracles. Not your run-of-the-mill miracles, but extraordinary miracles. And there was this huge, you know, this huge influx into the kingdom. You, you had healings, you had demons being driven out. You had, remember the, uh, the Jewish exorcists trying to imitate Paul, but they didn't know Christ, they didn't know Paul, so the demons came upon them and... All that got around, and pretty soon people were afraid, and they're coming to the gospel. They're having real conversion, and as a result of their conversion, they're burning books on the occult and this and that and the other thing for two years. For two years that went on. And I believe that what what we're really looking at here today is that, that a tipping point had been reached. And I would say that in our lives as Christians, that there will be times when we experience that as well. It can happen kind of on the micro level in a family. You know, maybe nobody really knows the Lord, and then one person comes to the Lord, and then oh, maybe they lead one of their siblings to the Lord, and then this starts to happen, and, and at first it's, eh, it's okay, it's looked at a little bit with suspicion, but then all of a sudden it becomes a problem. Maybe you've had that in your family. It can happen in a workplace. It can happen in a sports club. It can you know, just expand it outward in a city. You know, it can happen in churches, <laughs> you know, because there are some churches that have the name church that aren't even Bible-believing, but then somebody gets saved, and pretty soon others get saved, and then all at once the old guard says, hey, we don't want a bunch of Christians in here. What do you think we are? Um, and you can experience that. It can, it can be... So the big idea today is pretty simple. It's, a long, it's, it's my longest big idea I've had for a long time, but it says, we must be prepared for the dangerous tipping point when the kingdom of Christ displaces the kingdom of or the kingdoms around us. Because that tipping point will be a point of danger. Everything can be running along smooth. You know, you're just happy-go-lucky. You're just a happy Israelite in Egypt. You're just a happy Christian in Ephesus. And then all at once, you get to be too many. And all at once, problems occur. So let's be prepared for that. And I'm going to give you a few areas of preparation here. First of all, be prepared as ordinary followers of Christ. By the way, how many of you are ordinary followers of Christ? Just a show of hands. Three of you? Okay. All the rest are extraordinary followers of Christ. I got you. 
Uh, so in verses 21 through 22, Paul's making plans to pull up stakes. I could go into the travel itinerary. I don't think a lot is gained by that. Understand at this point, it's two years in. Paul is ready to head back to Jerusalem. He's going to take a really circuitous way. They're over in Asia. He's going to actually go west before he goes back east. He's going to go to uh, not what would seem like a perfectly counterclockwise direction. He wants to go up to Macedonia, then to Achaia, then back to Macedonia. Anyway, it's a long circuitous route. That's all you need to know. That's his intention. He wants to get to Jerusalem. After that, he says he wants to go to Rome. After that, and you know he got to Rome, right? And then, uh, and then he wants to go to Spain. Did you ever read the, the, you know, Paul's book to the Spaniards? Doesn't exist. Yeah, we don't, we don't have that. We don't even know if he got to, he could have. There's speculation, but we, honestly, we don't know the answer to that. But uh, it says then, you know, that you're, you're having this point where the two years in, and we talked about it last time, that the gospel is dominating, really starting to dominate. And it says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. The way. I think it's twice in the book of Acts that, that the church is called the way. And uh, what we're talking about here is not necessarily just Paul. Paul is he's a tip of the spear. Demetrius is going to fault Paul particularly. But when it says there was a disturbance concerning the way, it's saying there was a disturbance concerning the church, the followers of Christ, all those attached, all of those ordinary Christian. What was their number? Don't know. Don't know. But it got to be a lot. It got to be a lot more than they were really comfortable uh, with. We are in the hot seat as Christians. That is just part and parcel of life. When our total number uh, doesn't reach beyond the 70 that come down to Egypt, oh, life is good. But when we're 2 million, yeah, that's a different story. When we're unicorns, you know, have you ever been a unicorn Christian? Just one Christian in the midst of a bunch of non-Christians? That's, you can get persecuted. You can also be completely safe and fly under the radar at that point. But when we become more like roaches than unicorns, it's just, just a totally different approach at that point, right? Unicorns, like, hey, that's cool. I'm not a unicorn, but I can appreciate a unicorn. Roaches, it's like, just stamp them out. Get, just exterminate them. All of the Ephesian Christians were there in the hot seat, not just the Apostle Paul. And what I'm, what I'm saying to you is, as ordinary Christians, there's three of you, so I want those three to hear this. All the rest of you, hopefully, too. Um, you don't have to be the Apostle Paul to be part of that side of the teeter-totter in the tipping point. And we ought to be prepared for that. We ought, to have, we, we, ought to all, we ought to understand that that is par for the course. The more of us there are, the more endangered we will be. But that's okay. That's okay. When you see those things happening in your little circle of friends or wherever it might be, and you're like, what am I doing wrong? You, you know what you're doing wrong? You're standing on the wrong side of the teeter-totter. The world doesn't want you over there, and now you are, and there's a bunch of people with you, and that will garner a certain amount of rage, which is our second point. Uh, be prepared for their rage. Um, Ephesus had one of the so-called seven wonders of the ancient world. Any, can anybody rattle those off, the seven wonders? I just want, I'm just curious. I knew a guy that, you know, on command, he'd, like, he'd rattle them off. He was an archaeology student, and he knew this by heart. I couldn't tell you uh, what. I know there was a Colossus of Parnassus or something like that, and the, the pyramids. And, 
But, uh, but this temple, the temple of Artemis at Ephesus was one of those things. It was devoted uh, to, to a goddess. Artemis uh, in Greek, it was uh, Diana uh, to the Romans, but she was a goddess of fertility. And, of course, you can imagine, as with most ancient peoples, goddess and gods and goddesses of fertility were really held in high esteem. Because every year you had to depend on those goddesses of fertility to make sure you had good crops and they were, you know, offerings were brought. Well, this thing, this, this temple was four times the size of the Parthenon. Have you seen pictures of the Parthenon? So, you know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty impressive sight. Take that, multiply it times four. That was, that was what we're talking about here. Yeah, they were really proud. It was a magnificent building. And it wasn't just a religion. It wasn't just the cult to the goddess. It was big business. How many have ever been to Europe and visited uh, like one of the really big cathedrals over in Europe? Like in, yeah? How many, it, been to Cologne, Germany, for instance? I'll never forget, you know, Cologne. Uh, we got there, Köln in, uh, in German. Um, but uh, we got off the train and we, and we stepped out into the square there of, of the huge cathedral of Cologne. It's a magnificent cathedral. And like the whole square is full of vendors. There is so much money apparently to be made selling the, the cheapest, most awful, gaudy looking, you know, saint this and an image of that and, and little replicas of, of the cathedral. And so, well, it was big business in Ephesus. And it says here, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know from this business we have wealth. Yeah, yeah, this, I mean, that was their whole living. They were silversmiths, but they were silversmiths dedicated to one thing. They were making little itty bitty tiny shrines of that big, big, huge temple. And people would come and they would do their devotion to the, to the goddess and then they would buy one of those little things. And then, uh, I don't know if you saw the movie Gladiator. Do you remember, anybody see the movie Gladiator? There's a scene where he's like in his cell and he pulls out his little gods, you know, that he has there to worship. And he had, he had to have those little images there in order to have good worship. Well, they would take those things home and then they would, they would worship Artemis. But it's, it, it is just part and parcel of, of Ephesus. Without Without that temple, Ephesus is not really Ephesus. Ephesus doesn't amount to very much. It'd be like, what would Kansas City be worth if you, if you took the chiefs away? Anything? Would you even bother driving through without the chiefs? I guess it depends on whether you're a chiefs fan or not. Um, but yeah, so they, they blame Paul for what's happening. It says, uh, Demetrius continues, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, not just here, but in all of Asia, Asia Minor it's talking about, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people. There you go. There's the tipping point. You see, what are they concerned about? A great many people saying that the gods made with hands are not gods. That's almost ironic, isn't it? Like, hey, they're saying the gods we make with our hands aren't real gods. Yeah, because you made them with your hands. I, I uh, Demetrius is getting them worked up. Paul is, is, is turning this whole thing, you know, their whole region, not just Ephesus, but all of Asia. He's turning them into what they would consider apostates of religion. He's, he's turning them away from, from the gods that, that, that they've worshipped for centuries, and it's their meal ticket. Not ju- they're not just the acts of, you know, art, um, the objects of their worship. They're, they're their meal tickets. They're everything. 
He says, and there's danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and they cried out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So by preaching the kingdom of Christ, Paul has undermined everything they hold dear. Everything. Their, their jobs, their income, their wealth, their, their culture, their civic pride. I mean, we've got one, one of the, They didn't know they had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, I don't think. I don't think we'd counted them and named them that way. But they certainly knew, hey, we, we are this stellar attraction like none other. And this guy, by preaching this gospel, by, by turning people away from the gods, he has, he's just making a mockery of, of all of that. And when that happens, this crowd, like, a, like Arrowhead Stadium, I've never been there. Anybody been there when people are doing the, the whole chant thing? What's it called? Is there a name for the tomahawk chalk or something? Whatever. Have you been? Apparently, it's loud. Yeah, I've heard, that, that was the description I've heard. It's loud, very, very loud. And that's, I mean, this, you, can you imagine being a Christian there, hearing this with the crowds all, uh, you know, all upset, and they go run into the theater, uh, which is not like running down here downtown to the, what's it called, the, the Cinema Six or whatever it's, I don't know, Golden Belt Six. Yeah, it's not like that. Not like, this is more like, picture an amphitheater, so a big, huge theater, but it's cut into the side of a mountain. Uh, you know, it's only, it's only half of, of, of a stadium. But it seated a lot. It seated like 20,000 people, thereabouts. 20,000, 20, even upwards of 25,000 people. And, and, and they rushed there. And it says, so the city was filled with the confusion. They rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. Now, they don't have Paul. They didn't manage to get the big the big guy, but they've got a couple of his tra- traveling companions, and they're looking to settle a score. This is bloodlust. This is a mob mentality. How, how many kind of understand what I mean when I talk about mob mentality? Have you ever been part of a mob? Oh, maybe you shouldn't answer that question. But I don't know if you've ever just been part of a large group of people that is getting excited. Maybe you're just part of a very loud section of the people cheering for, the, you know, for Great Ben. And uh, people start getting rowdy and start shouting at the ref. And pretty soon you're, like, you're yelling something at the ref. And you're like, why am I doing that? I'm a pastor. My goodness. I, what have I just done? You know, Why am I shouting down the ref? But, but it's, it's, it's the crowd thing happening. It's like the BLM you know, protests, the January 6th stuff. I mean, you, you're with a group of people and they get excited and they all start going into the Capitol building. You just think, well, I'll go into the Capitol building too. What could be wrong with that? And, uh, and that's, that's what happens, and that's what's going on here. Two years of kingdom growth with solid gospel ministry has just pushed this to the tipping point. It's like, um, it's like one of those forests out in California that you read about, you know, the kind where they just let it kind of just, you know, they don't go in, they don't do any cutting, and they let the brush grow up and the undergrowth and then you know then it gets dry as it is want to do in California from one moment to another and uh, and it's a tinderbox it's just like sitting there going somebody strike a match and sure enough somebody eventually does or you get a light and then Demetrius is the is the is the light but the fuel is already there these people are enraged how would you have felt 
if you were just your average, ordinary Christian living in that circumstances, and you feel, and, and I guess the, those that have been at Arrowhead Stadium can appreciate this more, but if you heard that kind of chanting, saying, great is this false god that most of the world is running after, and you're part of this growing minority group of Christians in that area, and you can hear the hatred, you can hear the anger, the tension of that, and you look around, you look at the people that are running toward the amphitheater, and you know, I think we read this and we think about it like two distinct groups of people. There were all these Christians... And then there were all these non-Christians. And the Christians, you know, they never, ever dealt with any of these. It's only been two years. These are their sisters and cousins and brothers and neighbors and, and, and fellow workers. In their, they know these people. And they can see the ha- hatred. They can see the rage. And that rage is being aimed at you. I don't think it caught them completely by surprise. And I'll tell you why. We know that Paul, on the first missionary journey... He traveled back through the the places where he had planted churches. And Luke tells us that the core of his message to them was, it is through many trials that we enter in the kingdom of heaven. So I think that was a standard part of Paul's preaching the gospel. I think one of the first things he told people once they came to Christ was, oh, and by the way, if you have come to know Jesus as he is, as this Lord and Savior who's saved your soul for eternity and you love him and you treasure him, understand that part of the cost of that is that you will go through trials and you will go through persecution. So the answer is be prepared. Be prepared for the rage. Be prepared for their rage. When you, know, when, you, when you get on Facebook, and I don't even think you should necessarily do this, but have you ever posted something that you thought was nominally Christian and then you were surprised <laughs> that people didn't like you for it? Has that ever shocked you? Why? Well, I, I just I didn't say that much. You should have seen the hatred. Really, does that, should that shock us? No, that, that shouldn't shock be, be prepared for that. The text doesn't spell out how we ought to be prepared, but I think, for one thing, just understand it's coming. So knowing something's going to happen helps you, right? Just knowing it's going to happen. But more than that, moreover, I would say really lay your heart upon Christ. Know him, come to understand his love, deepen yourself in every avenue where you can grow in your appreciation and understanding of the love of Christ. That will ultimately be preparatory for you because... There's, there's very few things in this world that you should die for. Very few things. Your country, your family, but, but above them all, the most worthy, worthy thing to lay your life down for in, in all the universe is Jesus. Not to earn his love, but because you have experienced the, the great love of God in Christ and, 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 and the joy of your salvation, that, sh- that should be... Preparatory, I would say, for the rage that, that will invariably come. Thirdly, be prepared uh, in being heroic and wise. Those two go together. I couldn't think of a word that meant both of those, so I just did a compound there. But we, we need to be heroic and wise. How many uh, of you caught the, the news story a couple weeks ago that took place at that, that shooting in Indiana? The mall shooting in a food court in Indiana? I don't... Yeah, no, yes. Anyway, some, some nut, kind of, you know, somebody that was not mentally well went in with a rifle and he started to shoot people in a food court. And I think, 
I, didn't, I can't recall whether three people were shot and killed, three people shot, how many died, I don't know. But it was, it, it was too many, but it, it was kept at a fairly low number because there was a young guy, 22 years of age, he was carrying concealed, all this started out, and he was prepared. He came to the mall that day thinking, I'm going to shoot a mass shooter. Um, now, he went, to the, he went there thinking, I'm going to get a new pair of shoes or whatever a person goes. Why do people go to malls anymore? Is there a reason? must have been for the food court. Anyway, <laughs> anyway he, he, the, the, he rushes ahead. He, he gets people behind him as he moves toward the shooter. He must have been a good shot because he, he took him out pretty, pretty handily. And the, the, uh, the police have gone on record saying, this guy's a hero. Yeah, he's absolutely here. This is exactly what you would want. You know, the police could have gotten there 30 minutes later, and who knows how many would have been dead, but he was there. He was prepared. That makes him a hero. Paul is a hero. Paul has that kind of preparation. Paul has that kind of bravery. I'm, I, I always am amazed by Paul just because I know if you suffer one time from something, you are twice as unlikely to let yourself go through it again. Like, I think I could suffer for Christ the first time. Um, I do. I think I could be in a place of persecution, and they'd say, oh, okay, you Christians, you know, renounce Christ, or, or you're going to be tortured. And I'd be like, ah, just torture me. And then the second time, I'd be like, let me think about this. Paul, Paul has been, he's been beaten. He's been stoned to death and then, you know, resurrected, as it were, practically speaking. And all of, all of the rest of these things have happened to him. And he's like, hold me back, guys. Hold me back. Uh, you know, and, and they do. They, 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 they hold him back. It's, it's Paul, Paul's like a honey badger. You know what I'm saying? He's just like, yeah, I don't care. It's not gonna, it doesn't matter to me. He just wants to get in there, even though it's a mob He's not thinking straight, because you can't argue or reason with a mob, but Paul's like, yeah, let me at him, let me at him. It says, uh, but when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of, the, uh, of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. So they, they stopped Paul from his suicide mission, and, and that's truthfully a good call. We don't know what would have happened, ultimately, we have no way of knowing because they prevailed against him. But it seems to me like that bravery tempered with wisdom in that case was the, was the right way to go. The mob's not having it. Even a Jew by the name of Alexander gets up to talk and, uh, and they're like, uh, who's this guy? What's he going to say? And what would he have said? Because he was a Jew. Luke is telling us he's a Jew, meaning he's not a Jewish Christian. He is a, a Jew and not a Christian. What would he have said? You don't know. <laughs> we don't know. But he might have said, ah, these Christians. Everything was good until these Christians came along. That might have been the take. He, would have, he could have also, for that matter, said, hey, we Christians and Jews, we're, we're agreed. You know, you know, Artemis is nothing. You made her with your own hands. You said it yourself. So we don't know. Because they started shouting all the more. It says, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, meaning, you know, a monotheist, not a, not a worship of their gods, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Imagine a two-hour tomahawk chop. That, that's, that's what you have to picture. Paul was heroic. All those who held him back were heroic. But in the end, you know, heroism is not the only thing that we should be prepared for. We, yeah, yes, there is a moment that can come where you're Stephen, you know Stephen, and Stephen was backed into a corner, and he, it was stand and deliver, Stephen, and he did, and he was stoned to death. There are, there are times like that. But it doesn't mean that every single time that we go through a tipping point that we have to run headlong into a meat grinder. 
That's not always the case. You may go through a lot of these kinds of things in your life between the time you come to Christ, especially if you come to him at a very young age and you think of all the realms and places and ways where you might be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's no law that says as Christians that we need to be like a kamikaze pilot you know, flying a zero into the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. That doesn't have to be our mentality. We need heroism. We need, though, to have it balanced with wisdom. And Paul, Paul had that wisdom here. Finally, last point, be prepared with innocence. Be prepared with innocence. So you get two hours of this wild screaming going on, and then finally the authorities step in. It comes before the town clerk. The town clerk, he, he's kind of the, uh, he's sort of the go-between between Rome and the citizens. And he, he doesn't want to see, this is not good. You've picked up, I hope, by now in the book of Acts that Romans did not like riots. Yeah, that, Pax Romana. You've heard of Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The peace of Rome, which was enforced with, with violence, if necessary, was to keep bad things from happening. You think about the last few years of living in America with the BLM riots and, and, and the January 6th thing and all that. That wouldn't have happened in Rome. Oh, no, 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 no. All those people would have been strung up on crosses for a few miles down the road if that had happened. So that, that just did not happen. And this town clerk is like really trying to talk them off a ledge. It says, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Ephesian, uh, of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing Rash. They've just been screaming for two hours. I think by this point they're probably happy to comply, uh, to be quiet for a little bit. He appeals to their vanity and their pride, doesn't he? What's he what is he saying? He, he, he's trying to kind of pull them back. He's saying more or less, look, hey, you're so great. You're so great and awesome. Your God is so great and awesome. Our temple is so great and awesome. That meteorite that fell to the earth, uh, that's so great and awesome and wonderful. And everybody, everybody knows that. So you know, why get worked up about it? Let's just, you, there, there, there's really no need to it. I don't know how effective this was. The truth is, when we look at it 2,000 years later, who was right, Demetrius or the town clerk? Demetrius was right. I mean... I wouldn't want to be Demetrius in eternity, but I'm just saying that, that from Demetrius' perspective, he was right. The, the Artemis was going to be a nothing eventually. How many of you had heard of Artemis before you read this passage? A few of you? Yeah? Some of you are like, nope, really never knew who, who, who Artemis? You, did, you didn't know that, 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 that Ephesus was, was the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world? Or anything about her. You didn't, you didn't know about the rock that fell out of the sky. Why? Because the gospel eventually eclipsed all that. Demetrius was, he, he was on to something actually. But then the, uh, then the town clerk says something that's actually really truthful. It says, um, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. Boil that down. What is he saying? First of all, he's saying these guys are innocent. They haven't done anything 
to hurt you. They have not gone out of their way to do anything. Uh, you know, there's been no frontal attack against that temple. They haven't sprayed it with graffiti. They haven't thrown blood on it. They haven't protested it down with Artemis of the Ephesians, you know, marching around the, the temple. Nothing like that whatsoever. They've done nothing in that respect. And secondly, he's basically, he's, he's basically saying to them, look, you just want frontier justice. Kansas used to be a place of frontier justice. Did you know that? Just a little aside for you Kansans. Did you know? Yeah, the cattleman back in the day, Carmen will appreciate that. He gave me a book on this. Uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. But you know the law, it was just hard to get people to the law, I guess. <laughs> that was the position of the cattleman anyway. So if they caught a rustler, mm, they hung them by their microphones. That's what... Yeah, it was, it was a bad thing. But that's what Demetrius is going for. He's thinking, man, I'm going to get these people worked up. They're going to grab Paul and all the others with them, and they're going to take them. They're going to hang them or stone them or whatever the case may be. And the town clerk is like, uh-uh, not happening. This, this is Ephesus. This is a Roman city. There is Roman law. It's going, to, it's going to happen by the numbers, or it's not going to happen at all. So I think there's an important uh, principle here. I don't know if you see it or not, but here's the thing. As I said earlier, it is one thing to suffer for Christ. There is nothing more worthy of giving our lives to than the gospel. And if it be that we suffer, and if it be that we are tortured, if it be that we are put to death or just ostracized or whatever it might be that we would suffer for the gospel, then, then that ultimately, though it hurts in the moment, it draws us closer into the fellowship of Christ's suffering. Paul, Paul longed for that. Paul could talk about longing for, to know Christ in that deeper way, in that fellowship of his suffering. So that would be a good thing uh, all in all. But the, but the other fact or aspect of this is if we're going to suffer, let's not be suffering for being evildoers. They, they were, if, if, had they been put to death or stoned or anything, whatever would have happened, um, it would have been innocent, as innocent uh, of the charges that were made against them. The Christians at Ephesus had done nothing to, 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 to be worthy of this. They, what, what were they guilty of? Did they take sledgehammers to the, the temple of Artemis? Oh, did, did, did they go like steal all the little silver icons and like throw them away when people weren't looking? No. They were guilty of believing the gospel. They were guilty of preaching the gospel to the unsaved, of telling people of the wonders of Christ and, and what Christ meant to them. But they were not, they, all they were really guilty of was stepping on the wrong side of the teeter-totter. They, 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 they were part of that great tipping point where all at once, when Demetrius and the others looked around, they're like, whoa, wait, I know that guy, and I know her, and, I, and those people, and they used to be part of the guild, and now they're not, and they used to buy from me, and now they don't, and, and, and that's when they get scared. But the Christians themselves were innocent. Where does that leave us exactly? Well, we don't really know when tipping points are coming. At least I don't. I, maybe you do. I think these things tend to sneak up on us in, in society, whether it's a city or a church or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, what do we do? We, we, we believe and preach the gospel. Love the gospel, preach the gospel, live that out. That is our duty and joy. And if 
a tipping point gets reached and all of a sudden we find ourselves in that dangerous tipping point where the world starts to go, oh, wait, wait, these, these aren't unicorns anymore. These are roaches and, and, and they need to be exterminated. Um, if we have loved the gospel and we're innocent of those things, then, then, then we will stand as, as lights, as bright, shining lights before our God and, and, and God will honor that. Let the offense be the gospel, but remain innocent. Paul says that we're, our conversation is to be uh, seasoned with salt. So let that, you, like, let's say, I'll just give you an example. Say you meet a Muslim. Now, we don't believe in Muhammad as Christians. We don't even believe that he was necessarily a good guy. But you don't walk up to a Muslim as your first order of business and say, by the way, you follow a false prophet. What a, you know, pedophile that guy was. Um, not a good start. Not a good start, and it's not necessary. You don't, you don't have to go in with guns blazing trying to take out Artemis as your first order of business. The first order of business is to tell people the gospel. Have you heard the gospel? Do you know about Jesus Christ, God's son who came into the world to save and redeem sinners like you and me? I've come to know him, and, and I have joy, and I have peace in my heart. I have the hope of heaven. Of, he's coming. That's how we ought to lead. We ought to lead in that kind of innocence. And we don't have to be extraordinary Christians like the Apostle Paul. We can just be ordinary, you know, members of the way, the way of the gospel. And that, that is powerful enough, and that can bring a tipping point. If you're not a believer today, we, we, we just want to say from the other side of the teeter-totter, <laughs> The whole direction of history is leaning our way. We're not saying that to be proud or arrogant. We're just saying that's how it is. The kingdom of God has gone into nearly all of the world. It continues to press forward into the various places where Christ's name has not yet been heard. That is where it all ends. There will come a day. You don't know it, but the Bible tells us that a day is going to come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That will come. So we're just saying to you, hey, why not come over now? You know, come on over the water's fine. Come on over this side of the teeter-totter is good. What do, we, what do you need to do? You need to see Christ. You need to see him for who he is. And, and as the savior of the world, you have to see yourself as you are. As a sinner in need of grace, you have to turn and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you will be saved. That is the long-term destination of the universe, so why not come now? We invite you. We invite you to come over. Um, it's good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we want to be like the Ephesian Christians. We want to be excited about you. They were so excited that they, that they took valuable books that were on the occult and they just burned them and gave them up and let go of those things. And they, and they undoubtedly lost friends and, and family members and they faced... All of those, those pains and the, and, the, and the crowd roaring against, against them and they faced it well and they faced it with, with innocence and with joy. And we want to be of that kind of Christian. We, we don't want um, to be fearful. We want to be, we want to be brave, Lord. We want to be wise and, uh, and help us to do so. And we pray, Lord, that, that we would see even maybe today that someone hearing this 
this message of the gospel would, uh, would want to just flee and, and come over to this side of, of, uh, of history, leaving the darkness and, and coming into the light. We pray that you would draw them by the gospel, that they would turn and believe in Jesus even now and be saved. In his name, amen.